This is episode 15 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles include Modern Survival in Suburbia, The Intangible Prep, How to Prepare for a Pandemic, and An Open Letter to Family and Friends. Hey, my name is Todd Sepulveda. I'm the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Let's get started. Okay, our first article comes to us from Modern Survival Blog. And uh, the title, again, is Modern Survival in Suburbia, the Intangible Prep. And the author is Eric E. Borton. I've actually already read an article from uh, Eric on bsurvival.com. He's the author of Without and uh, a good guy. I've done some email interactions with him. And so uh, I'm very interested in reading this article for you uh, on this one about talking about the intangible prep. It's very interesting, and I think it's something to very, uh, that every prepper should be considering. So let's go ahead and get started on this one. Most of my friends and family live in subdivisions in suburban neighborhoods stretching from North Atlanta to Athens, Georgia. As turbulent times surround us, some of them are taking their preparedness more seriously. They're beginning to understand that their absolute dependency on the grid, city utilities, and services and modern conveniences can be challenged at any time. With my background in the military, helicopter rescue, and extensive travel to third world countries where being prepared is a way of life, they're looking to me more and more for advice and guidance. As I direct them to great online resources such as Modern Survival Blog, I wanted to create a series of articles tailored for folks living as I do in suburbia. Modern Survival in Suburbia, the Intangible Prep. I was raised a Navy brat. I recently challenged my sister, who has a much better memory, to count the number of times we moved during my father's career. The answer was 17 while we were their dependents. My parents moved a few more times prior to his retirement. During my childhood, the one constant was my grandparents' home in Norfolk, Norfolk, Virginia. The borders of the property never moved, but the socioeconomic surroundings, it did, it did. It transformed from a rural to a suburban and finally to an urban neighborhood as the city grew. The one constant about my grandparents' home was their neighbors. Everybody knew everybody. Most bought their homes during the same decade and stayed until their death, or the home was passed down to their children. Both of my grandparents are gone, but there are still a few who mowed the same patch of grass they've been tending for over 50 years. Those types of neighborhoods are relics of a bygone era but the lessons are more relevant today than they ever were. My sister and I couldn't pick our noses without word getting back to my grandparents. Okay, that's a bit melodramatic, but you get the point. Everybody knew everybody, and in turn, everybody looked out for everybody, including their kids and grandkids. During extended stays when my parents would drop us off like dirty laundry for a little peace and quiet, my grandparents never worried about what we were doing or where we were going. They knew we would be safe because we had eyes on us wherever we went. In my opinion, survival for many suburban preppers is measured heavily in tangibles. Regardless if someone is prepping for a three-day power outage or for social anarchy, they believe their success will be solely attributed to what they can eat, drink, or shoot. My grandparents' neighborhood taught me about the importance of some of the intangibles. In the first of a series of articles, I'm going to focus on the most underrated prep in that category, relationships. I'll be purchasing a new home in the coming months. 
When I find that perfect piece of land, more than likely it will be nestled within another suburban environment. When the school district is no longer a restriction, I'll be moving to another home where I can't hit my neighbor's house with a rock. But even then, this article will still apply. My tangibles will be there for me on the first day in the new house. Food, water, prep, gear, weapons, ammunition, medical supplies, and so on. I'll be starting over with the intangible intangible prep of building relationships with my neighbors. I'll start working on that immediately. Do you know your neighbors? I mean, do you really know them? Do you know their names? Would they look out for your kids as they played in the yard? Would they offer you a hand carrying a heavy load into the garage? Would they take action if a stranger was looking into your basement window? Would they offer you help in time of need if you were injured? Would you do any of those things for them? If you can't answer those questions, you're missing an opportunity to exponentially raise your level of preparedness without spending a single penny. After the truck is unloaded, I'm going to be busy, but I won't be too busy to give a wave or a smile when I see my new neighbors. If it leads to an instant conversation, great. As with any relationship, I'll take small steps. I won't wax poetic about my prepping philosophy during initial contact. I'll get to know them before I show any of those cards. As most of us know, the label of prepper or survivalist comes with a certain stigma. But most importantly, I know that people who aren't prepared will seek out those who are. If a neighbor knows I have a stockpile of food, water, and weapons, they'll eventually come knocking on my door during a crisis. When they become desperate, they'll kick it in. The best way to avoid that situation is to encourage them to prepare as well. If I've ever established a good relationship with them, it won't be as hard or strange to ease into that conversation. Yeah, I remember that storm, said Rick, opening a beer as I flipped the burgers. We were stuck in the house with the kids for three days. I thought I was going to lose my mind. I hear you, buddy, I said, closing the the grill. When I lived in Virginia, we got hit with a freak ice storm. We were socked in for six days without electricity or water. Damn, said Rick. We were running out of everything after two. Same here, I lied, but it taught me a few valuable lessons. Like what, asked Rick. It's that simple. You don't need to start the process by telling a neighbor that you're a prepper and he needs to be one as well because you can't take care of two families. You also don't have to take him into the locked basement room with no windows and shelves full of supplies. But if you can convince them it's a good idea to have a plan, help them make that plan. If initial contact doesn't come that easy, I may introduce myself through a letter or at the next homeowners association. And yes, I'm not a fan of HOAs at all, but it's hard to avoid these days in suburbia. It takes time and effort to build trust, but trust is the key component in any relationship. If I see my neighbor clearing land, I'm going to offer my help. If I see my neighbor struggling to start their mower, I'm going to show up with my tools. If the power goes out for more than a day, I'm going to walk next door to make sure they're okay. When their kids get off the bus or are playing in the yard, I'll keep an eye out for anyone or anything looking to cause them harm. As best, I'll have people I can rely on in a crisis. I'll know their strengths and weaknesses in an SHTF scenario, as well as how they'll react in a lesser event. I'll know if they're an asset or a liability. My threat circle will change and I'll have a higher level of confidence my neighbors will stand beside me during an event that challenges the safety of our families. Just as my grandfather knew he could count on his neighbors to preserve the stability of his home, I want to count on mine. At worst, my new neighbors become one of my many reasons why I prepare. Because I live in a suburban environment at this point in my life, I'm surrounded by other people. It's not the ideal location or situation if a catastrophic event does take place, 
but your environment dictates how you prepare. I believe to be better prepared in my environment, I need to build relationships with people who are in it with me. Every prepper survivalist situation is unique and needs to be tailored like a new suit. Homestead or rural preppers will have a completely different philosophy, lifestyle, and setup than I do in suburbia. I can't paint my house a different color without approval from the HOA. Imagine how far my request would get if I asked permission to put solar panels on my roof, dig a bomb shelter, or install a 500-gallon propane tank in my backyard. The answer is not far at all. Intangible prepping is as important as the gear and the guns. Knowing who not to trust is as critical as knowing who you can. For me, I want to know everything I can about the people who might be with me in the same boat. Stay aware, stay aware, stay prepared. Man, I think that is an excellent article. Good job, Eric, on that one. Uh, And good job to Modern Survival Blog for for hosting that one. You know... um, I just got through talking with uh, with a friend from church about about this very same thing, uh, talking about uh, neighbors and being prepared and those kinds of things. You know, when I first started Prepper website, a lot of people, the idea was, you know, you're just going to lock down in a situation and it's just, you know, my family and that's it. My four, no more. And uh, I, I just really, I, I never thought that that was the right way of doing it. Um, you know, there's, there is that saying that there's safety in numbers and what Eric is saying is start now, start building those relationships. At the very worst, you're going to know who to watch out for. At the very best, you will build alliances, you will build relationships, maybe even good friends that, um, that you know, you'll have something in common. And if not, maybe they just get a little prepared. That still helps. So I think that's an excellent article. I think that's something that, you know, if you're if you're listening to it, you might even want to go and just reread it and kind of think about that one a little bit and maybe even share that out with some friends. But um, that's going to be found at Modern Survival Blog. And just like uh, all the all the other podcasts, I link to all the articles on the show notes. Uh, so episode 15 at theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. You can go there and link to it very, very easily. All right. Great article. So the next one comes to us from uh, Gay over at Backdoor Survival. Gay is a, is a good friend. I have uh, been reading her website since the very beginning of Prepper website. She always has great material. So um, let's go ahead and read this one. It seems like every time we turn around, there is some deadly disease in the news. In recent years, there has been Ebola and the avian flu uh, A, H7N9 virus. There has also been MERS, COV, and many more. While these are epidemics of serious proportions, there are not yet pandemics, but they could be. The best time to prepare for a pandemic is when a serious disruptive event of the pandemic type is not on the immediate horizon. That said, a pandemic can occur at any time. It is the unknown aspect of pandemics that make them a potential reality we must prepare for. This article is month two in the series, 12 months of preparing for disruptive events. What is the difference between an epidemic and a pandemic? Because of their similarities, the terms epidemic and pandemic are often used interchangeably, but it is incorrect to do so. The difference between the two is the scope. Let me explain. Both happen quickly, usually spreading to a large segment of the population in days or weeks. However, an epidemic is typically contained in a defined area. You might say that pandemics are epidemics that have gotten out of control and have spread to multiple areas worldwide. Here is something else you need to know. Widespread diseases are not all pandemics. 
To be a pandemic, the disease must also be deadly. It must also be contagious. You might not ever know there are pandemic diseases that could become an issue for you personally. An example is H1N1 that evolved into a pandemic in 2009. There are even oldies rearing their ugly heads once again, such as cholera, malaria, and the measles. Just remember this. In most cases, these diseases start out as, a regional, out, as regional outbreaks. At that point, they are an epidemic. If they spread out and become national or global, they become a pandemic. That is the difference between the two. Can a pandemic really happen? Pandemics are popular science fiction fodder. Most people have seen the movies detailing the horrors of living through a pandemic. Such popular current shows like Contagion show the serious side effects that go beyond the immediate terror of the disease. The point is, there is more to deal with when a pandemic breaks out than just staying healthy. You have to stay safe from other dangers as well. At last, scary movies about pandemics don't make the threat real to most people. In spite of hearing about pandemics, they don't seem to be a real threat. Being a victim of a pandemic will typically fall into the it-will-never-happen-to-me mindset, also known as the normal, norm, normalcy bias. Most of us have been exposed to dangers, though. We just don't always see the surrounding diseases as something that could produce the effects of the disaster in the movies. Historically speaking, there have been many pandemics that killed large percentages of the population of the world. Current pandemics that exist today include HIV-AIDS, SARS, smallpox, typhus, tuberculosis. Skills, strategies, and supplies you need to prepare for a pandemic. Most of the historic pandemics lasted for more than two years. Some are still going on. Others are popping up, such as the Zika virus. Dealing with a long-term outbreak takes some special preparation. Know the symptoms. This is a quote. It is important to know what to look for regarding the prevailing illness. If you must meet with an outside person, it will help you identify whether it is safe to approach. Knowing what to look for will also help you keep an eye on loved ones during isolation and to prepare to quarantine them immediately at the first sign of symptoms. It is important to remember that when in doubt, always assume infection. It is much better to be safe than sorry. Wear protective gear. Quote. Uh, hold on a second. I'm sorry. Is that a quote? That might not be a quote. That might, it might be quotes. I'm not 100% sure, guys. Sorry about that. I think they're quotes. I'm not sure exactly where they're taken from. Okay. Um, continuing on. Wear protective gear. When dealing with outsiders, always wear protective gear, even if they don't seem infected. Okay, I don't think they're, I think they're just, uh, she's highlighting the strategies here. So that she's just kind of setting it off. So sorry about that. Wear protective gear. When dealing with outsiders, always wear protective gear, even if they don't seem infected. All right, side note. You know, like when you're reading an article and you're reading it silently, it's like you're just kind of blasting through. And so you don't always, you're not always paying attention to stuff like that. All right, continuing on. Uh, sorry for the side note. Just got just to gotta get that out there. <laughs> All right. Learn how to properly disinfect your home and your clothing. Make washing your hands with plenty of soap and water a habit now before sicknesses settle in. Also become proficient as using, at using essential oils, alcohol, and bleach as disinfecting agents. Additional reading, survival basics, hand and surface hygiene when there's no water to spare. That's a link to another article there. Develop sealed air ventilation. Locking yourself inside your home isn't enough. It will protect you from the angry mobs roaming the streets. It won't necessarily protect you from the reason the mob exists. 
If the virus or the disease is airborne, it can infiltrate a home. You need to have supplies to seal up all vents, windows, and doors. But then how will you get fresh air? Sealed rooms would be fine for a few days, but not months or more. You can find out how how to seal your home and build a sealed air ventilation system by reading Safely Shelter in Place During a Pandemic. Create a sick room. Heaven forbid anyone in your family does get sick, but if they do, you need to be prepared. When you are confined for long periods of time, it may not even be the danger outside that causes the illness. People become hurt, catch colds, and get headaches. It is a fact of life. You can't run out to the store easily when there is a pandemic going on. You have to have all the supplies you need ready. Make sure you have the common painkillers and antibiotics. If anyone in the home needs prescription medications, it is, good idea, it is a good idea to have a rotating supply that will last. You should also have plenty of sanitation supplies like disposable gloves, bleach, alcohol, hydrogen peroxide, and masks. Learn how to effectively use essential oils. Essential oils store well and a little goes a long way. Become proficient at using essential oils for common first aid ailments. See DIY Miracle Healing Sap and for relief from aches and pains. Essential oils are also powerful antimicrobials and can ward off sickness and germs when used topically or diffused into the air with an essential oil diffuser. Two especially useful oils are oregano and shield blend, or other thieves like blend. Prepare for possible outdoor excursion. Anytime there is a long-term disaster, the possibility of needing to leave home for an emergency run for supplies becomes a possibility. When the disaster is a pandemic, however, there is the added danger of exposure. Always wear an N95 medical mask to protect yourself from airborne disease. Wear long sleeves and long pants. Preferably seal the cuffs of, of sleeves and pant legs. Stay clear of other people if at all possible. Stock up on games. That may not seem like something important during serious illness outbreaks, but boredom sets in quickly. You are likely going to be stuck in a small space with your entire family for a long time. Having board games, card games, and even video games at the ready will help alleviate frustration and cabin fever. Store plenty of food and water. Have enough food and clean water to survive in an isolated quarantine condition for up to a year or more. Set up sanitation stations. Have bleach trays and sanitation stations set up at entrances to walk through before entering the home. Use disinfectant liberally and often. Have spray bottles filled with a bleach water mixture to disinfect the home and clothes. Use them liberally and use them often. Remember, however, that bleach has a shelf life and should be rotated and replaced on an annual basis. Here is a disinfecting ratio. One-fourth to three-fourth cup of bleach to one gallon of cool water or one tablespoon to three tablespoons of bleach to one quart of water. Contact time. Let stand for two minutes, then wipe or air dry. Set up a quarantine area. The quarantine area should be set up outside if at all possible. Having a quarantine area will allow late arrivals to remain isolated until you are sure they are safe to enter. The quarantine spot should be well stocked with food, water, and amusements such as books and games. Have a plan for safe burial. If the unthinkable happens and authorities have lost control of the situation, there will be sicknesses and death. There is an aspect of prep this is an aspect of prepping no one likes to talk about, but the reality is that with a massive pandemic there will be deaths. Be prepared. Nothing beats having things in place when you need them. By the time an outbreak happens, it will likely be too late to gather up the necessary supplies. I realize that this may seem as though I am preaching to the choir, but get your food, water, and first aid supplies together. Know what you need to do to shelter in place and gather everything you need to set up a sick room in your home.
recommendation, bug in or bug out. Your, your best bet during a pandemic is to bug in, also used interchangeably with the term hunker down, and stay safe. Bugging out is not a good option during a pandemic for a couple of reasons. First, going outside exposes you to the prevalent disease. Second, going outside exposes you to the desperate masses who were not prepared. Remember, a pandemic is not something that will be short in duration. You and your loved ones need to be prepared to hunker down and survive until the danger is passed. That could take months, maybe up to a year, before the outbreak is under control. In some cases, it could take longer, and indeed, some historic pandemics took many years to contain. Between 1347 and 1453, the Black Death decimated a third of the population of Europe. Even though the U.S. is a much younger country than others, doesn't mean it is immune. Between 1900 and 1904, the San Francisco bubonic plague decimated the West Coast. The U.S. has also had outbreaks of cholera and measles, scarlet fever, typhoid, polio, whooping cough, diphtheria, the Spanish flu, and of course HIV-AIDS. Throughout this article, there are a number of links you can click to to learn more about prepping for a pandemic and especially about bugging in, in during a shelter-in-place situation. Here are some additional resources. So there's a lot of great articles here. 15 things you should do today to prepare for pandemic flu. 16 items to help you hunker down in comfort. How to make DIY hand sanitizer with essential oils. Zika virus handbook. A doctor explains all you need to know about the pandemic. And 11 things to do when you must hunker down in place. So a lot of great uh, articles there if you want to get more information about the pandemic. uh, About a pandemic. Final word. Pandemics are difficult because you are battling three separate problems. Staying healthy, staying safe, and staying sane during isolation. That being said, being aware of the seriousness of the situation and what you need to do to survive a pandemic gives you a big advantage over your neighbors who may not be at all prepared. Being prepared will increase the chances that everyone in your home will be able to deal with it all and come out on the other side in good shape. All right, so a couple of things that I'd like to add to this. Um, You definitely need to go to the article so that you can link to all the the different uh, links that she has here. But um, a couple of things. I think I've already said this, but uh, watching After Armageddon was the thing that kind of got my wife uh, interested in pandemic or interested in preparing. You know, we watched that and I think I've linked to it in a previous episode. Um, So the other thing that I kind of want to add on to this is like you just got to look at the numbers. At some point, we are going to experience a pandemic just because of the numbers, just because of statistics, just because eventually there's going to be uh, a virus that jumps from, you know, from the animal population to the human population, and it is going to hurt and decimate. And so um, we really need to, it's not one of those, you know, you always hear the term, it's not when, if. So uh, you know that at some point it will happen. You just got to be prepared for it. And so which leads me to the last thing that I really want to talk about here is when uh, the Ebola thing was going on, you know, on Prepper website, I link every once in a while, I link to, um, you know, uh, items on Amazon. When the, the Ebola thing was going on, you couldn't find the N95 mask. I mean, they were, they were like sold out, completely sold out. You couldn't find gloves. You couldn't find um, even those like the jumpers and stuff like that because people were just buying them because they were starting to panic a little bit. So if you're one of those that you're going to, you know, you're going to kind of waiting, I, I would say try not to do that if, if, if you can afford to. 
The thing about first aid supplies, it's just like food and water. If you rotate it out, you're going to use it eventually. And so some of these things can be, if you're storing it in a place that's just not you know, going to degrade, um, you, you can kind of store it and it'll be good for a long, long time. You can always use first aid supplies. And one of the things that I know that I've heard Nurse Amy talk about from uh, doomandbloom.net is that you know people buy first aid supplies and they buy a certain amount and they think that that's a lot, but no one really understands how fast you go through those supplies in a situation. And so you might have you know a, a nice stack of you know gauze or whatever, but you know one or two little incidents and it's all gone. So it, preparing for you know medical preparedness and preparing for something like this is definitely important. And then the essential oils, I I I've got to. I just can't uh, not imagine that at some point, like if there really was a pandemic, how essential oils could really be useful in that. And just, you know, being in an office when people are getting sick, I diffuse shield like she was talking about there, which is the Spark Naturals version of uh, of Thieves. And, um, you know, some people kind of like the spicy smell of it. Other people, th- other people, a lot of people are grateful that I'm diffusing something that is sanitizing the air. So I, I just, I just know that, you know, when, when things are going, going downhill like that, uh, I just imagine like essential oil is playing a big part of really helping out, um, you know, the situation. So the people that know about essential oils and can use them and, and know all about them, I think, uh, is important. So a couple of, a lot of things to consider there. Uh, don't just pass this up as like, oh, it's a pandemic. I'm not really, you know, it's not, it's so far in the future, it's not happening. You know, think about it just a little bit. Uh, we don't live in fear, but that's why we prepare, right? All right, so uh, let's go ahead and jump to the next article. Man, I'm just starting to talk. I, I, I realize that when I start talking a lot, I the the podcast goes really long. So try not to do too much of that. Um, this last article, uh, on Fridays, I try to do a best of. And so I go into the archives of Prepper website and pull up an article that um, that's been done before, kind of older. And uh, I actually, um, I pulled one, I was re- reminded of one of my articles. So this is one of my personal ones that I've written uh, a while back. And it was one of the first um, articles that, that I really kind of wrote after Prepper website, kind of getting it started. And, and I put the first version of it. So this, I'm going to read the second version of it. The first version was on Prepper website. It had a lot of hits. It still gets a lot of hits. This is the second version of it. And, and it's entitled, um, It's Getting Crazy Out There, Don't Be Distracted, An Open Letter to Family and Friends. And so the original um, article was just called An Open Letter to Family and Friends. And the idea was that you could take this article and um, copy the, the, the URL or the link and send it to friends or post it. Or, hey, just, hey I've got, I found this on the Internet, something to think about. And just to kind of get people thinking about preparedness. Um, and so as, uh, as I was uh, a little bit later on down the road, I, like I said, I did version two of it. And so you'll kind of get what I'm talking about. So let me go ahead and read this. It's coming from uh, my personal preparedness blog, edthatmatters.com. Again, title is, It's Getting Crazy Out There, Don't Be Distracted, an open letter to family and friends. I first penned this letter in December 2011. Back then, I was very concerned about our world and the direction that I saw it going. The signs have been there for a while. 
For those paying attention, looking, researching, and reading, you could easily find a myriad of problems that point to how fragile our world, country, state is. But now the problems are glaring in in your face. You really have to be Mary Poppins to think there isn't something wrong. From our economy to terrorism to natural disasters to deadly viruses, crime, and more, you can easily find reasons to be concerned for yourself and your family. The thing is, many of the problems that can arise because of these issues can be mitigated if you just put a little effort into being prepared. Many of you won't, though, because you are too distracted with living the dream and having fun or you just are irresponsible. Responsibility is a problem in today's world. We all want the government or some other entity to come through for us. And what if they don't? Are you willing to have your family staring you in the face wanting to know what to do because they are in a desperate situation that could have been avoided or not as bad because you weren't man enough to make some decisions and get off your butt. People always ask, what if I prepare and nothing happens? Well, I say that's good. You don't really want anything to happen. You don't want a terrorist to hack the electrical grid and be without power for however long. You don't want the economy to tank and possibly lose your job. You don't want the drought in California to affect the food supply so much that you forego buying fruit because it is too expensive. You don't want any of that stuff to happen, but if it does, you want to be ready. Being prepared doesn't mean you go buy a lot of camo guns and go out into the woods. Being prepared or living a prepared lifestyle just means you live responsibility you live responsibility or responsible by planning, thinking ahead and putting some things back for a rainy day. There are so many aspects to it and each family is going to be different. But failing to plan and prepare is setting your family up to fail. You will tell that my letter below is a lot softer than what I've written above. Back then, I didn't want to freak people out. I wanted, to, I wanted them to think critically. But now, I think people need a wake-up call. And after you read the letter below, I would be happy to answer any questions or point you to resources that can explain your questions in better detail. Peace. And then I have my name. That was written in July 2015. This original article was 2011. An open letter to family and friends. I'm writing this letter because I care about you. Please take a few minutes to read it and think about what I'm saying. Why the letter? Our lives are crazy. We take care of our family, work, eat, play, chauffeur, pay the bills, etc. When we have a little bit of free time, we like to just veg in front of the TV and watch some brain-numbing pictures flicker across the, the screen. We can go at it like this for days, weeks, and even months, not knowing what is going on in the world outside or our local community, and just get by with the tank around the water cooler. Get by with the tank around the water cooler. And when we take life in these little chunks, separate blocks of our time and attention, it seems a little bit more manageable. We move from one task, event, errand, chore to the other. The problem is when we look at our lives from a big picture perspective. What if our lives all of a sudden change? What if the stress of the day came bearing down at you all at once? How could this happen? This can easily happen during an emergency. I'm not talking about your son just stuffed his G.I. Joe down the toilet or the dog is out of food emergency. I'm talking about the big stuff. The big emergency. The big emergency is the one that stops you in your tracks. It can be personal, based in your local community or worldwide, but it is the one that everything else stops and all resources and energy are put towards it. The problem is that most people are not prepared for the big one. Prepared. Are you and your family most people? Do you have an emergency fund for financial emergencies? Do you have insurance for medical emergencies? Do you have food and water if there is a food supply transportation emergency? 
Do you have other means of cooking and preparing your food if utilities weren't available? Do you have first aid supplies and extra medicine on hand? Do you have basic skills that could help you fire starting, water purification, gardening, first aid, etc.? This is the whole reason for my letter. I want to help you see the importance of being prepared and to start being more self-reliant. It's not too hard, but it does take time, planning, and effort. But then again, what would the time, planning, and effort that you put in ahead of time be worth in the middle of an emergency? You'll be glad you did. Action steps. Number one, make a plan. What are you preparing for? What needs to be done? Don't look at the magnitude of the plan. That, that can be overwhelming. Take it in chunks. In reality, you will never be prepared. You can, you can be not prepared or overly prepared, but never perfectly prepared. Consider the basics, financial, medical, etc., but also keep in mind your region of the country, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, fires, etc. Set goals. What do you want blank accomplished? Or when do you want blank accomplished? Get a three-day supply of food, then move to a three-week supply. Revisit insurance, house, vehicle, medical, life, etc. Think about home and personal security. Start an emergency fund, three to six months of expenses. Start a garden. Take a class, first aid, sewing, gardening, firearm, wilderness survival. Watch some videos on YouTube, search preparedness. Read blogs and articles on preparedness and prepping. Get active. Go meet your goals. Warning. The world of preparedness and prepping can be an addictive one. It can suck you in, mess with your emotions, and get you seeing the world in the fragile state that it is in. It is always best to approach preparedness within community. You should, you, shouldn't, you should go it alone only if no one else is willing. Eventually, they will realize that you are right, even if that is in the midst of a storm. It is not in the scope of this letter to discuss all the possible emergency scenarios that you should prepare for. But outside of regional natural disasters, it is important to me to briefly mention our global situation. Things outside our local community have gone from bad to worse. At first, we might not care about what is going on in some Asian or European country, but the fact is that we are all tied into each other now. What happens over there affects us over here. There are many end-of-the-world-as-we-know-it type scenarios out there. One such scenario is an economic collapse. Someone recently replied to me and said, Yes, times can get hard, but we have been through it before during the Great Depression. The fact is, is that it w it's way different this time. Our country didn't have the debt that we have now. And if for some reason the world loses faith in our government's ability to pay its bills, we are up to Crete. It really isn't too far-fetched to imagine this happening, if you look into it. The concern has gone beyond the foil hat people. Just research it. Do something. Please take this letter seriously. If you prepare and don't need it, the worst is that you have some food. Food costs are going up by now at cheaper prices and other supplies. But if you ever find you are in a position that you do need it, you and your loved ones will be glad you were prepared. So that's the, that's the letter, uh, open letter to family and friends. And uh, I do have a lot of links uh, connected to it. So you can come and um, check it out at Ed That Matters. And, uh, and it's been a long time since I've read that. And so I want to uh, probably probably put that out on my Facebook page again. Just put it out there and see uh, what kind of response. I'm probably going to do that tomorrow night. So uh, that's fun. All right, guys, that's, uh, that's it for this episode. Um, again, I'd just like to thank everyone for listening and, and uh, coming and checking out the Prepper Website Podcast. Uh, you can be very instrumental in spreading the word of, of uh, the Prepper Website Podcast by... 
uh, you know, liking us and giving us um, reviews on whatever podcast network you're on. iTunes is big, Stitcher is big, uh, TuneIn is, tune is out there, and we're on Google Play. Uh, so if you give us a review out there, I mean, it really helps out and really builds it, builds it up a little bit. But also uh, just sharing it out on social media uh, and you know, word of mouth, just letting people know, hey, there's a there's a, a podcast out there, the audible version of articles that are you know preparedness articles, and so um, all different kind of articles. So again, we make it really easy for you. You can share it out. You go to the website. There's a you can share it out in all the different ways. We have a bunch of different ways out there that you can do it. I know uh, it, it's even on Pinterest now. People are, are linking to it on Pinterest, and I, I do really appreciate that. So um, also, if you if you get a chance, stop by the stop by the website. Drop me a line. Hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, I always like to hear from you. It's, it's always great to hear from you guys. So uh, we will be back. That's it for this week. I can't believe, again, it's, it's three weeks. It's gone by really fast. Uh, we will be back next week with uh, more, more episodes and uh, more preparedness. So if you, you, know, you need your preparedness fix, you make sure you go over to PrepperWebsite.com. We, we post there daily, every single day, seven days a week. And uh, there's always a ton of great information there. I'm only touching the surface of what we have. There's a lot of great information over there. All right, guys, until next week next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.